You heard that, right? I was sharing my audio. Yes, yeah. I was. <laughs> Welcome, Jurassic fans, to the 153rd episode of your rather nerd podcast. Can you believe this is season three? Larry is here, by the way. Hi, Larry. Hello. Oh, and look at that. Uh, the Dancing Queen is there as well, giving me little kisses. Um, I am here as well. Why did I not get any kisses, Dancing Queen? Anyways. Uh, <laughs> So, you guys, yes, we've been doing this for three years already. That's amazing. Wow. Yes, indeed. It's a long time. <laughs> It is. And now uh, <laughs> on season two, Larry joined us and now she's here. And thank God, because once again, Matt Millen is on vacation. This is that time <laughs> of the year, Jurassic fans, that you usually just hear my own voice. But no, thank God, Larry. I'm here. here. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you only you you would not have to you know just settle for this ridiculous Australian accent. Anyways, <laughs> so we got good news about the pod, Larry. Let me send you a little tiny number here that you'd be impressed by, and maybe you can comment okay. on that. Whoa! Yeah, this is a milestone. Whoa! Yeah, can you tell all this? Whoa! Wow! Two thousand. <laughs> 515 plays indeed <laughs> wow i'm impressed that's lovely lovely indeed so thank you so much you guys this is so amazing you guys wow. actually listen to our rumbling and <laughs> i was so worried that you know after swerving a little bit from just jurassic park to uh, a project of our own would lose so many listeners And in the very beginning, yeah, the crowd dwindled a, a little bit, but now it's growing again. So that's awesome. We are that's so amazing. flattered that you guys are still here and that you are commenting on our Instagram posts. That's just incredible. Of course, we'll never you know, make as many likes as we did during the Jurassic Park period, but I'm sure there'll be more movies. And this, yeah, don't forget that we have 65 There one movie yeah. that I'm just so raring to see. Me too. Oh, boy. Oh, we have a new state, by the way. We have Montana. We have listeners from Montana now. Thank you so much, Ooh. you guys. Hi, Montana. Yeah, welcome. Buckaroo. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. So today we're doing chapter 19 of An Unwanted Discovery. And remember, you guys, that I'm already writing the second story. I'm writing... Um, Sorrows from the Past. This is the new novel, the dino novel that I'm writing. I'm also writing a, a horror novel. I'm co-writing it. Uh, Larry, I never told you the title. I guess I never told you the title no. of the dino novel either. So it's all a huge surprise for you. No. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let me give you that here on the chat as we talk. So the horror novel was called uh, Tearful Torment. Mm -hmm. I told you that I love alliterations. Yes. It is just my thing. <laughs> You know? You're really into it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I totally am. But I mean, we are a series of Confluential Events fans as well. We read the sure. books. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a tradition already. Yeah. All right. And then, well, well, we'll see what we're doing in the future. huh? I've also got the title and the cover for the novel that we are releasing next year that is dedicated to you, Larry. Perhaps I should mm. not tell the title. I will for sure not show you the cover, but... <laughs> I, lo I love surprises, so that's okay. 
All right, cool. It's gonna Can't be wait. A, a nice mystery novel. Okay. And that one will not have diners, just for a little diversity in my roster. Nice. <laughs> so, you guys, we're doing chapter 19, which is my favorite, by the way. So, I hope you enjoyed it. Larry, have you got it there already? Yeah. Okay. All set. Let me find it here. I'm doing most of the voices today, unfortunately. Uh, we'll be dead by the end of it. So, let's do it. Chapter 19, Bellum in the Bay Back on the Thuringi, it was close to noon when we entered the docks to anchor. Waiting for us in front of the condominium was Baruti, with his arms crossed, his legs spread wide apart, and a look that teased our captain. Dropping an anchor, I made sure not to get involved in what would happen next. While we were still securing the moorings, Jacob King jumped ashore and greeted our host. Baruti! How do you do? The boat of yours has incredible power, boy. Approaching without taking his eyes off Kin, Elia came pretty close, as if to intimidate the man who was a few inches taller than he was. In a tone of restrained anger, he replied, And you still have the nerve to make jokes after you stole my boat? You know, young man, when I said your boat, I was following the education I was given. After all, this boat belongs to the Cretans who employ you. If anyone is going to sue me, it should be one of them. In fact, not even this condemnum will belong to you for much longer. With a puzzled expression, Elia asked, What do you mean? I mean that a species once considered extinct has found refuge in the lagoon, which happens to have a connection to the river, whose banks you have taken over. Your construction thus becomes illegal. Baruri, Elia, your project ends here. Keen finished his words while looking hotly at Elia, as if each man represented his respective side in the discussion. Lucy and I had remained on the dock, and we were watching the scene with apprehension. The man to whom the threatening speech was addressed stared at Keen for a few moments. You think you are quite powerful, don't you? He asked in a threatening tone. Simply because you have money. If it weren't for their power, I bet you'd be crying in a corner like a little boy. Listen here! Keen was visibly offended, but he pulled himself together before something thoughtless left his lips. Show some civility, said a voice that now sounded calm and restrained, as if all the anger instincts had been washed away in a single instant. We will continue with our animal operations. We found out in Port St. John that the animals are developing well there. Unfortunately, we know this because an adult was successfully caught on a fisherman's longline. Now, excuse me, we have a lot of your dirt to clean up. Saying this, Kin withdrew from Elias' presence, missing his gloves lap, which Jacob would surely like to deliver. Elias looked back at us with an expression of disgust, which only increased when he focused his eyes on Lucy. 
We felt that we were now traders, as if we had slighted his hospitality by supporting Keen in their research. Little did he know that this was not really an option. With our heads down, we followed Keen to the rental car and sat, still feeling all the weight on our shoulders. Keen's movement was agile. He knew precisely what he would do next. Shifting to gear, Keen pulled away, passing front of the condominium and within inches of Elia. I couldn't tell if his expression had changed when we passed again because I kept looking down. Driving at high speed through the woods, we'd return to the pond where the original sighting had occurred. And that's the point, Mr. Etienne That was the only part that had been said in English. All the rest of the speech had been given in Sikosa, the language spoken locally. Keen had spoken at length, while the old man listened attentively without any reaction whatsoever. Leaning on his wooden stick, the old man's skin was already sticking to his bones, and he spoke very little, which was not a habit caused by old age, but by wisdom. From inside the circular hut we're now in, it was possible to observe the waves that were gently coming to finish their strength on the sand. Using an interpreter, the old man gave us permission for the operation that Keen had outlined, using a few words that were translated into many by the men who spoke for him. Translated into our language, they conveyed the idea of an entire community that would come together to defend nature, as it was meant to be. Emotional, Keen knelt before the old man and thanked him, an attitude that Lucy and I imitated, although we did not know whether the act would be well received. As I bent over to fall to the ground, I looked at Lucy, seeking her advice as to the local culture, but she shrugged her shoulders, maintaining the same confused expression I had on my face. Apparently, not even Lucy's acumen could prepare someone for something as unpredictable as King's ideas. If the act was unusual, it wasn't frowned upon either, because we left the tent with our heads still on top of our necks. What is this plan that you have outlined, Dr. King? Lucy asked. Well, you don't think that the three of us alone will be able to take care of all the nests, do you? These good people will be on our side now. Functionally, they don't feel hatred for animals just because one of them was attacked and killed by the creature. He wasn't exactly attacked, Doc, I pondered. What matters, Kevin, is that we have an even bigger team now. We just need to find out why the animals have taken refuge in the fresh water. How about we start with Blue Water Bay? Lucy asked in a strangely natural tone. Blue Water Bay? And why there, precisely? Jacob questioned. Because it's the largest city nearby, all the information flows into the big city, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe that's a good idea after all. Saying this, Keen walked away to talk to the interpreter who had seen earlier. Something about how much authority he would have in the operation. Seizing the opportunity, I was tempted to ask, what is the motive, the real one this time? Without checking her eyes off the dialogue we're now witnessing, she replied, I overheard Elias' ex-employees talking about some middlemen who were meeting him on the coast, bringing supplies. Rumor has it they were coming from Blue Water Bay. So why O'Keen investigates his own mystery? We investigate ours. I never thought it'd have to do with humans while researching cryptids in a... Stop grumbling. Lucy complained as she left. You sound just like Dr. Tim. That painful comparison is enough to shut anyone up, and that's what I did. 
No, I couldn't be compared to Jacob, that's obvious. The discussion about authority was raging just a few steps away, and that is something I would never do. Finally, one side emerged victorious, and I am sure it was not Keynes, because he was leading us back to the car with the same expression of frustration he had when we stopped him at the airport exit. As he was already taking a few minutes just looking through the windshield on the grass surrounding the village, we decided to introduce the subject of the trip. There are a few gas stations along the alternative route, I commented. Alternative? Keen sounded offended, finally coming out of his shock. Yeah, doctor, Lucy elaborated. You don't expect us to pass the condominium again on the way to Blue Water Bay, do you? And why wouldn't we? That Elijah guy is in trouble with the law, not me. Explain that to his pistol, Lucy concluded. King's eyes widened and he stared at her, terrorized by the concept that anyone could be so animalistic. Raising his hand to his chest in the most affected manner, he finished with a dry throat. Well then, let's check that route then. With a discreet smile, Lucy celebrated yet another successful manipulation. Following the R63, our trip took seven and a half hours and covered more than 550 kilometers along a virtually straight path between the Luleka Nature Reserve and the bay. It first passed through semi-desert plains interspersed with green fields and plantations, as well as mankind's most diabolical creation, the Game Reserve. After this endless torture, one arrived at a great city of Blue Water Bay, whose waters did not belie its name, maintaining the dazzling blue that the ocean still retains certain places. Around the rocks that rose up like islands in the ocean, the rolling waves changed to the black tongue of the deep waters, full of nutrients. Our first stop was a hotel recommended by every hiker we met on the way. Appropriately enough, the place was called the Ammonite Hotel, the name given to the spiral-shelled mollusks that inhabited the prehistoric oceans. At the reception desk, we could sense glances condemning the beautiful state our hair was in after the expedition. To our worst pain, Keen had bathed and combed his hair one last time before we left the condo, and his appearance contrasted with ours. Acting just like the father of two teenagers who had sent boarded the dunes and fallen face first, Jacob mimicked the looks of the other guests, standing apart as superior. The hotel staff then rushed us to our room as if we were an embarrassment on display at the front desk, and in a way, we agreed with this. Forced to get into the elevator so that we would not be seen on the stairs, we were sent to the room that Jacob was renting at the front desk, five floors below us, and we were rushed again, this time into the room. Already knowing they would have no money like the man he thought was in charge of us, the waiter did not wait for us to tip him and after putting our bags on the floor, disappeared into the corridor as if it had become one with the either. Each in turn, we bathed, ridding ourselves of the burden that was dirt and fatigue. When I left the bathroom, Lucy was already emptying the bowl of fruit left by the maid. Biting into a mango, I asked what our next step would be. We're going to the port, she answered in a mysterious tone. We need to find out what this Elijah dude is transporting to Luleka. Tell me that we will at least rest tonight. Didn't you get enough rest on the way? 
My expression in reply was one of despondency, thinking about facing another night of sleep deprivation. With a laugh, she broke the seriousness from her face and continued. Of course we are going to rest. I myself couldn't stand another night awake. Besides, you don't rent a room to spend the night out of it. The comment reminded me of the man who was also paying this cost for us. You think Jacob will accept the fact that we are going to have another operation without him? I asked. Jacob is only interested in animals and it's humans we'll be dealing with, not really his thing. Nothing seems to be a keen thing. Sometimes I wonder why he treats us well. You still don't get it, do you? Her expression was darker now. Get what? At that moment, Keen opened the door, pushing his way with an elbow and showing up his arms, where he was hanging clothes that smelled of new fabric and materialism. Hello, children, he shouted as he entered the room. I bought some new clothes so that the manager won't have you deported. Looking at ourselves, it made sense to change our garments. The shower did little good if we kept wearing the same dirty clothes. With the items Jacob had bought, it would now be easier to camouflage ourselves among the Blue Water Bay crowd. The night went by quietly, with the heavy sleep imposed by the tiredness that travel had caused us. It was then late in the morning when we woke up. There were our two smaller beds in parallel and one larger bed, as is the idealized form of a family. In our colorful outfits, we got up and, after morning hygiene, went down to the hall to leave the Ammonite Hotel. Behind us, we heard a call coming from the little tables in the restaurant, which was now serving coffee to its late guests. Among the few who were still enjoying the eggs and bacon, we recognized the voice coming from our tour companion. The similarity of the breakfast served there to that in his homeland had finally pleased Keen, who now looked exuberant as he finished his cup of tea. What a splendid place, I say, he declared fervently. Look how carefully they treat every ingredient, from the toast to the tomatoes and even the mosia. Lovely! What Jacob didn't realize, however, was that his culture had affected the one that now surrounds us. And by affected here, we mean destroy it. It's great to see you happy after all, Doctor. Lucy hurried to end the conversation. We have to go but you should order another cup of tea. Saying this, she put me by the long sleeve of the local robe and gently dragged me outside. Keen kept a smile on his lips and an intelligent look, as if he knew what we planned to do. Outside, Lucy looked back one last time to make sure he hadn't gotten up. I went to the left, but she put him back to the right. This way. She murmured as if someone could hear us. This is the way to the port. How exactly are we going to find out what Baruji brings here? We won't. He doesn't bring anything here. What? No, Kevin. Elia doesn't drink, but he takes something. How'd you know? Because the men in the village talked about provisions arriving every beginning of the month. And this is precisely the time when the smaller boats are being loaded with what arrived by ship. And what would that be? Something that will make King smile. With a closed smile, she gave me a shrewd look and set off in the direction of the harbor. The city as a whole was based on the docks, and its economy and future depended on it. A few meters from any point in the city, and it was possible to reach the ocean. In the harbor itself, the already boxed and strapped cargoes were lifted by hand, and dozens of men were involved in the task, 
carrying the heavy wooden crates while two or three superiors shouted unintelligible commands. We walked for a while through the streets that surrounded the bustle of the wolf before planning our next move. Finally, we ducked behind a crate and Lucy told me her plan. Jacob Keane was now finishing his second cup of black tea. What a wonderful idea the girl had had to order another cup. But anyway, the time to get a walk. These young people, they think their elders are slow-witted turtles who don't understand their plans. It was obvious that they were snooping around the harbor, trying to find out what Elijah was doing. Better the way. Maybe they would find something useful to throw the bannet in prison for a few years, while the poor leptocleters were saved from his clutches. Besides, walking alone was more pleasant and elegant. Walking through the streets towards the ocean, Keane cast a curious glance at a crate in the harbor. Crouched down near it were two teenagers gesturing while discussing something. Incredible camouflage, really, he thought with a long sigh. Leaving them to their childish machinations. There are more important things to discover. Why would those admirable creatures leave such vast waters for an internal lake? It made no sense. There were no other massive predators that could threaten or compete with them, except for the great white shark, but these were found in great numbers several miles away on Dyer Island. There was another problem, and he would be the discoverer of what it was. King stopped his steps suddenly, remembering the scene he had seen a few moments ago. Lucy and Kevin. Maybe he shouldn't think so coldly about the two of them. The feeling of guilt weighed heavily on his back as he recalled. Shaking his head to forget, Kin tried to focus his mind on the next goal, the ocean. The shore of Blue Water Bay was always covered with fishermen trying their various strategies in the turquoise waters of the bay. Fabulous stingrays and sawfish had already been caught from those waters. And now, drunk on board of a speedboat or sitting in the pier, the newcomers were trying their chance at a brick price. Spotting a local fisherman, Jacob sat down next to him on the pier, staring into the sand. The man was wearing beautifully colored clothes, such as he had obtained at a donation drive for Lucy and Kevin to wear more decently. Time and again, the fisherman pulled the line from the water with a whipping motion, always catching a tiny fish, barely larger than a finger. Whipping the water again with his line, the man kept quiet, staring at the tip of his lure. Deciding to speak at last, Keen asked in a low tone, Tell me something, mate. Is there all there is to fish in these waters? Unperturbed, the man replied, That's more than I need from these waters. But what about the bigger fish? Don't tell me they all come here to fish for bait like you. Look in their boxes. There is nothing there. They're all tourists with their fiber rods dreaming on what no longer exists. As for those who fish from a boat, they only do it for the booze. Leaning back, Keen noticed that the man was right. All the fishermen had very professional rods and sturdy equipment, but they didn't get a single bite. Those who dared to lower the hook soon caught the little fish left in the sea. Annoyed, they threw the tiny creatures back into the ocean and increased the proportion of the equipment again. Could this be possible? All the marine life had been consumed? But what could have had such an impact on the marine environment? Keen asked, turning again to the man. Lifting his frown, the fisherman looked at the cause of the problem. Jacob understood what he meant. A trawler was approaching from the horizon, ready to darken the harbor after weeks, perhaps months away. Predatory fishing, concluded the scientist. 
Nodding, the man agreed and added, you don't find big fish anymore because of them. Ironically, they themselves no longer find large schools around here and have to sail long distances to get anything. Do you have any idea of what they catch? Absolutely everything. The net does not spare or choose. Mangrove sharks, groupers, blue rays, loligo squid, saw gun. Did you say squid? Yes, loligo squid. Some are really small and... As I was staying to hear the rest, Ken jumped up and ran with a plenty might. The fisherman turned slowly, just enough to see the man cross the street carelessly, almost get run over and then run on. What was wrong with these tourists? What was wrong with these drivers? Ken complained, reaching the other side in one piece. Anyway, the important thing was that now he knew what the reason for the change was and could test his theory. Stopping at the first fishing store he saw, he went inside and quickly bought the gear he needed. Now all he had to do was wait for night to come. I was still somewhat nervous. Lucy's plan had seemed foolproof as she described it, but now I could feel the sweat dripping down my hands. Rising from behind the crate, I was ready to put my life on the line for the Leptocletus colony. Grabbing the first crate I saw in front of me, I followed the orders to deposit where they would. The men around me, as well as the supervisors, were of different races, coaches, and creeds, all united by hard work. On the bright side, my reddish locks would not be noticed in this multicolored immensity. So I hoped, at least. Following the crowd, I repeated the process several times to feel safe. The plan had actually worked. All that was missing now was a chance to see what was in the crates, but how? Hey, you! The aggressive voice cut through my thoughts. What you doing standing there holding this load? Get it to the boat! Without realizing it, I had lost myself in thought again and stopped walking right in the loading area with dozens of other workers rambling behind me telling me to get out. Nervousness overtook me and my hands sweated barrels again, causing the box to almost slip out of my hands. The supervisor, snapping his fingers in front of my face, asked again, Are you sleeping, boy? At that moment, I said the first thing that occurred to me. Excuse me, sir, I believe this box is going to the liquor. Oh, really? It must have got mixed up with the other pile. That is the ship going there, and next to it, the cargo. Load the boat, boy. Yes, sir. Hurrying to obey before he suspected anything, I reached the other pile of cargo and the speedboat that was anchored beside it. Excellent. The plan had been more than successful. In this other area, far fewer men were on duty, and after loading the boat with the lost crate, I set about helping them. Again, I loaded several crates before taking action, and then, when the others were looking for more crates, I made mine fall between the sand slope and the boat, hiding it from the view of the others. I continued helping with the work so as not to arouse suspicion, wondering where Lucy had been all this time. A horn called my attention then, and like me, everyone looked at the street in front of the harbor, where a lunatic was now running across. That was... Jacob Keane had spent the afternoon at the hotel, waiting for the right moment to act. In the pockets of his new suit, the perfect material to execute his plan. In the fishing store, he had met Lucy. What a strange thing their meeting was, as if they both had something to hide. With a silly expression of surprise and a compromising stammer, the two had stared at each other for a few seconds before something intelligible was said. 
Did you come to buy a compass, doctor? She had asked. Uh, yes, yes, precisely. So that I too can be a good map reader like you too, huh? A few faked giggles and she left the store. Why had she given him such a convincing excuse to be there? Well, what did it matter? He was ready and when night came, oh well, look! On the wall of the Ammonite Hotel, the wooden clock was now striking six o'clock. It was officially night for Kim. Getting up from his armchair and throwing the newspaper on the reading table, he left the hotel, returning to the spot he had visited earlier. There was now not a single fisherman, because those on the boat were unconscious, the tourists had become frustrated and left, and the gentleman who had informed him had earned his skip and returned home. Perfect. From his pocket he took what he had bought hours before, a flashlight and a fishing line on a small reel, without the rod attached to the equipment. His experiment consisted in attaching a piece of meat to the hook, in this case, one of the many small fish the tourists had left to die on the pier, and covering several spots, eliminating the water with his flashlight to attract the squid. Starting at the spot where he stood, he crushed the little fish, securing a piece on the hook and throwing it into the water. The lantern shone brightly, and would suddenly have attracted a squid anywhere else in the world, but not here. Switching points, Kane walked to the other side of the bay and cast his modest rig. Minutes of waiting, and all he got was a bay chewed up by other tiny fish. Several locations tested later, and the result was disappointing. Apparently, the man was right, and one of the main prey in those waters had been practically extinct. At least the result was conclusive, and now he knew what to do. Perhaps one last try before returning to the hotel. Wielding the flashlight, he pointed again at the ocean, and its light illuminated the water. The flashlight illuminated the box. Lucy and I had returned under the safety of night to inspect the crate, bringing a small LED flashlight with us. Retrieving the crate required her to hold me by the legs as I hung over the edge of the slope. Pulling me, however, was the hardest part, but functionally, she has more strength than I have weight. Now the flashlight illuminated the box in the warm night. Pulling an object from her pocket, Lucy revealed a pocket knife she had been keeping. Where did you get this? I asked, surprised. In a fishing store. I bought this and the flashlight while we were hiding the crate. Jacob was there too, trying to hide what he was doing. As if we didn't know that he was going to fish and see what is and isn't in the water. From the fossil record, I'd say he's looking for squids. He sure is. Sticking the tip of the sharp blade between the lid and the wall of the box, Lucy forced the structure open. Lighting it again, we saw that its content was a compact powder that appeared white in the flashlight. So that's it, Lucy concluded. Okay. There was no point in taking our discovery to the authorities. They would not even believe that a cargo was not ours, but that it belonged to a respected engineer. In a joint effort, we then threw the box away spilling its contents into the ocean. We then returned to the Ammonite, where we were to meet our teammate and do something about the find. As we walked through the hotel doors, Kin spotted us and choked on his tea. Children, you need to hear something, he said urgently. In the same tone, Lucy spoke up. You need to hear something, doctor. Yes, but children, what I have discovered is more serious. It's terrible, doc. There are no more squids in this area. Baruti liar is a drug dealer. Speaking at the same time, the two cut each other's speech. 
The king opened his eyes when he heard Lucy's sentence. Oh, this is more serious. We can already force him to withdraw from the Sazinji without difficulty, Dr. King. But Lucy, aren't you the one who didn't want to see him lose his job? I changed my mind when I found out he's a criminal. I love to hear that. Come on, you two, we have work to do in the liquor. Grabbing each of us with one arm, King led us back to the door, pulling a wad of cash out of his pocket and on the way and tossing it over the reception counter. go <laughs> that was great <laughs> I, i love this chapter this is my favorite one that's amazing i loved it too yeah and like uh, it's a pretty long one and i wrote the yeah. whole thing in a single night in a single night oh wow it's too confused <laughs> uh yeah so and it's just so special to me because you see how many points i connected yeah it's great <laughs> as you're imagining the scene Like Lucy's using her flashlight and it moves to Keen using his. And, yeah. And then like you see several points of views of the same story. You see Keen almost getting run by a car when he's uh, crossing the street. I love that part. I love that part. <laughs> Because you want him to die. <laughs> a maniac crossing the street. <laughs> Is that... <laughs> Wait. I love that. Is that my teammate? <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. And, and you know... Uh, I want this chapter to be funnier than the others because everything, everything so far was just so bleak, you know, so depressing. So many people have died. So I want no death in this chapter. And, you know, for you to have a, a little bit of a rest from so much bleakness. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of... Oof, yeah, <laughs> you know, because... Uh, so And then thing. I bet it starts all over again. <laughs> you want to do chapter 20 today the corollary oh my i don't know i'm, I'm... do we have yeah. time for the corollary okay yeah okay cool yeah <laughs> fine oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> let's get started with that jurassic okay. fans we'll see you on the other side of this because uh i'm <laughs> editing this for today <laughs> and then well uh, prepare yourself all right embrace yourself for some suffering But you knew what you were getting into with <laughs> chapter one, all right? You knew it. See you there, mate. Keep going for the scope. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's do chapter 20. <laughs>